0: Welcome to the last Chi Alpha service of this semester. I know you guys are all pretty excited to see this semester end, but I must say I'm pretty sad to see it come to a close. This has been one of the most fun semesters we've had in Chi Alpha history. This semester is the first time that we got to meet many of you, and you guys are incredible. And we've just got to watch God move time and time again in your lives. And I know he's just getting started with many of you. And it's so cool to see what God is going to continue to do. I'm also pretty sad to see our two seniors graduate and leave us. We're going to miss you both dearly. Like Jaden said, he was in my small group. That shows you how old he is. You got to be with me. And I remember very clearly taking him to Panda Express because I was a very poor small group leader and he spent like 30 bucks because he got like the six pack thing where you get like 600 chicken things. And also, I hated Chinese food, so I'd never been there before. But we figured it out and it was cool. And I also was really shocked when he walked in. I'm like, oh, you're up there and I'm down here and I'm supposed to lead you. We'll see how this goes. But it's so cool to see what God has done. I love you, my friend. You're incredibly faithful. So thank you for that. I could talk about, I'm about to cry when I think about Jaden, but that's a pretty cool dude right there. Anyways, for those of you that this is your first time here, I'm so glad that you are here. Thank you for being willing to try something new. I know it's the end of the semester and it can be a little bit interesting as you step into new adventures, but I'm excited that you are here. My name is Derek and I would love to meet you after service. Tonight we're going to finish, finish our last sermon series of the semester called Rights to Beauty. We spent these past few weeks looking at the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of his character and just who he is. And tonight we're going to finish this by reading the story of the birth of Jesus, which is quite fitting, being the Christmas service. And the worship team got all classy on us. Classy Christmas didn't stop for them. They're ready to keep going. So we're going to read this story from the book of Luke. So this is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree came out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there's no place for them in the inn. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for all you are already doing tonight, God, and what you're going to continue to do tonight. We love you so much, Jesus. In your name, amen and amen. All right, so growing up for me, my elementary school had this yearly fall carnival where we would get to go and they would auction off different things for the families at school. There's a ton of different little baskets and experiences you could win, but there was one prize that was better than the rest of them. One of the prizes was the right to be the one lucky student who got to become principal for the day. This person would get to travel with the principal all day. They'd go read to the other kids. They'd get to inspect the playground. Our principal's kind of weird. He went and sang songs to everyone, like every class. And so you'd get to go sing country music with Mr. Brown, was his name. And then the best part, you'd get to go join him at Wendy's for lunch. And it was a magical experience. And boy, did I want this right, specifically the Wendy's. The nugget sounded like a good time to me. And so when I was in kindergarten, my older brother Daniel actually got to be principal today, and that's fine. And then when I was in first grade, his best buddy Austin got it. But then second grade came, and I was like, this is my time. I told my parents I must win this raffle or this auction. So they just kept upping their offer at this silent auction until I eventually won. I got to be principal for the day, and it was glorious. All my dreams come true. You know how sometimes when you experience something and it's like a letdown? Exact opposite. I love the power. I wanted it. And so the next year comes around, and I'm like, yo, Mom and Dad, I want to be principal of the day again. And my parents lacked a certain ability to like tell me no. So sure enough, they became the highest bidder again, third grade, principal of the day. But now I was addicted. I couldn't stop. It was too good. So fourth grade came along, and it was time for a 3 I I won again, principal of the day, three times in a row. But then... I think the school caught on to the fact that my parents had more resources than they needed and the zero ability to not give their child what he wants. That <laughs> they were willing to pay any price to make their baby boy happy. There's some perks of being the baby in the family, and this was one of them. So my parent or my school, excuse me, makes this radical, I think quite sinful decision <laughs> that no longer will it be a silent auction, but the principle today will be decided by a raffle drawing. So you could buy different amounts of raffle tickets, but ultimately it was random. I was devastated. We lost control. I had secured the power to be the principal. I could not will myself in winning anymore. I couldn't make sure. It was just up to chance. Who makes decisions by chance? I do now. Now Taylor and I flip coins for everything. But anyways, I had given up my right to control. And this was my last year in elementary school. This was poor little Derek's last chance. The other 400 kids never got a chance, but I only had one more chance, and I had to go out on top. This ate me. I'm not joking. This ate me up inside. I was furious for like weeks. I hated not having the power to get the best prize in all of humanity, so I begged my parents, you better drain that savings account for those raffle tickets, so They did. (laughs) And I remember going to my favorite teacher's classroom and sitting there, and I was so nervous. I'm like, who am I going to win him? Because they announced the winner over the intercom. So I'm sitting there all stressed out, like pacing back and forth, like yelling at my, this old second grade teacher. I sat in anticipation, and then the intercom comes on. The principal's ready. And he says, the winner for principal of the day is, and then looking back, what I think was a sound of sheer disappointment, <laughs> Derek Quimby. <laughs> Four time principal of the day. What's up? Ah, oh, and it felt good. Anyways. So, like fifth grade me, I think we have this longing to keep our rights. Specifically, we want to keep the right to do what we want when we want to do it. We want to keep our options open. We want to keep control. We don't want to be forced into anything. We don't want to be obligated to do something. We want complete autonomy over our lives to make the decisions and control the outcomes of our lives. See, when I talk to our Chi Alpha students, the number one thing that students worry about, the major theme that seems to stress you all out, is your future. Major, future job, future spouse, where am I going to live? When am I going to graduate? Another semester, and another, and another, and another, and then you're 10 years in. But that's always fun. See, all this fear is rooted in the fact that we hate not having crystal clear control and clarity on what our future is going to look like. We worry because we lose control. Because we can't control things like who will be hiring, who will be single, even though we pray them out of the relationship they're in so they can join the relationship that I want them to be in. Anyways, we can't control what the housing market will look like. We can't control the economy. There's so many things, and this lack of control fills us with deep anxiety. We have a deep longing to be in control of everything, yet we are constantly met with the reality that we don't have a lot of control. And the Christmas story is all about this. See, it's a beautiful story of these people who choose to give up their rights to keep control. Let's start with Mary. In this time, Mary was around 13 to 17 years old. She was engaged and she had her whole life ahead of her. She was going to be the perfect wife. Her and Joseph were going to have the beautiful family, the white picket fence. Everything was going to be wonderful. Everything would work out great for Mary. But then her world is turned absolutely upside down. She's met by an angel who tells her, Congratulations, you're going to get pregnant with the Son of God. Hope the nursery's ready to go. And she's a little perplexed. She's like, well, um, usually pregnancies preceded by certain activities that I haven't, like, partaken in yet. So how is this going to work? And the angel's like, oh, don't worry about it. And he gives her some answer that I guarantee she did not understand or knew what was going to happen. But this is how she responds. Luke one thirty eight, Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Behold, I am a servant. I think this is one of the most convicting sentences in all of scripture As Mary is met with the fact that her life was going to be forever changed and she had no control over it. She doesn't get out a sheet of paper and put a line down the middle and start weighing pros and cons. She doesn't calculate how this calling is going to help her with her goals and her dreams and her aspirations. She's not thinking about her five-year plan. She doesn't think, how are my parents going to feel about this sudden becoming pregnant? No, she just responds with direct obedience. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. She responds with a willing surrender. She surrenders her plans for God's plans. Mary surrenders her right to control over her plans. See, Mary would have grown up with a religious knowledge of God. She would have known who he was. She would have known, had an understanding. And the reason she surrenders is because she recognizes that she does not have the power or the knowledge to tell God what to do. She surrenders to the fact that God is smarter than her and that she, as a follower of God, does not have the right to control over her life. Tim Keller, who's an author and pastor, talks about this conference he went to When the speaker gets up and and they ask two questions, the first question the speaker asks is, are you willing to obey anything the Bible clearly says to do, whether you like it or not? And secondly, are you willing to trust God in anything He sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? See, often when we follow God, We will follow him as long as we like it and as long as it makes sense to us. But the real question of having a servant heart towards God and a willing surrender towards God is if you're willing to follow him even when it makes you uncomfortable or if it doesn't make sense to you. This is the true test of being a servant of the Lord. When you're willing to do whatever God asks of you. The speaker goes on to say this. If the distance between the earth and the sun, we're getting a little science here. If the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 93 million miles, If that distance was no more than the thickness of a sheet of paper, then the distance from the earth to the nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. That's far away. The diameter of the Milky Way would be a stack of papers over 300 miles high. Keep in mind that there are more galaxies in the universe than we can number. There are more, it seems, than dust specks in the air or grains of sand on the seashores. Now, if Jesus Christ holds all of this together with just a word of his power, as we learn in Hebrews 1.3. Is he the kind of person you ask into your life to become your assistant? Jesus is not here just to help you accomplish your plans and goals. We are to be like Mary and surrender our right to control over our lives. Following Jesus is not a negotiation. Following Jesus is a surrender. Following Jesus is a waving of the white flag giving God control over our lives. And the reason we do this It's because of what Jesus has done for us. This is something I love about Mary. See, Mary surrenders her life to God without knowledge of the cross. She doesn't know that this son of God she's gonna birth is gonna go on to die for her sins and pay for every mistake she's made. She doesn't even know that. She just knows the story of God from the Old Testament, and she loves God enough even in that moment to surrender control. How much more should we be willing to surrender control with knowledge of the cross, knowledge that Jesus loved us so much to surrender everything for us? The least we can do is give back to him our lives. Because we know everything God has done. We know the power of God. We know the goodness of God. And this should lead us to trust God. Because if God can come as a human and die and rise again, I should trust him with whatever he asks of me. Back in the fall of 2019, Pastor Daniel, who's our pastor of Scent Church and used to be the Chi Alpha director, in my job before me. He's also my older brother. There's a lot of relationships there. Anyways, in 2019, he decides he's going to plant Scent Church And that I was going to take over Chi Alpha. I was really, really excited about this future. I was so excited to see what God was going to do. And I started dreaming for what Chi Alpha was going to look like in the fall of 2020 when we take over. But I left out one small part of this plan that I constructed. COVID, maybe you've heard of it. It was that sickness that went around for a while. It kind of changed everything, right? See, when I pictured being up here giving my first sermon as the Chi Alpha director, I did not picture everyone in masks, seven seats away from each other, two rows back, filling every seat we can in here and kicking people out because we had a distance. I didn't picture that when I pictured my life as a Chi Alpha director. See, I had no control over my plans for that year. I had to surrender control to God. We had to cancel, actually, this service two years ago, we had to cancel because we had a huge COVID outbreak. I had to lead worship from Zoom and then go and preach. It was a really weird experience. We couldn't do any Kyle events. There's no classic Christmas party, no all-night prayer, no hood night, none of those things because we, didn't have, we couldn't do them. We couldn't gather. And I also didn't know what anyone's faces looked like. So that's kind of interesting getting to know people. I remember the first time Samantha Davis took her mask off. I am like, that's what you look like. Nice to meet you. Anyways. <laughs> See, I had to surrender to God and say, God, whatever you want to do is fine with me. And I'm so thankful that we did. I'm so thankful we didn't give up because that year was beautiful. That year is the first year we met many of you. Many of you came to know Jesus for real that year. Many of you decided to dedicate your lives to God that year. That year we saw God do more than we ever thought possible in the middle of a pandemic because God's plans were better than our plans. And I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. And none of us will forget that year. I promise you that. See, I know many of you are wrestling right now with your futures. You're worried about what this next step's going to be like, and you want to control it all. The beauty of following Jesus is we get to relinquish control to God, which means we don't have to worry. When we make decisions for our future, we can choose to do what's best for us, what's just the most fun, what's going to lead to the most memories, or we can choose to do what's going to lead to the greatest impact for the kingdom of God. See, Mary trusted God enough to surrender control and to choose to not be surrounded in anxiety over her future. The first few chapters of the stories of Jesus don't talk about Mary, like, stressing out in a corner because she's going to give birth to the Son of God. She says, no, I'm your servant. Whatever you want to do, God is fine with me. Because she surrendered control. So I encourage you. When you're thinking through your future, I encourage you to ask a few questions to yourself. Ask yourself, how can I best glorify God? How can I give control to God? Maybe there's an area in your life that you need to surrender to God and let him have the keys of. Maybe there's a sin issue that you need to tell someone about and that you need to confess for maybe the first time so you can give it to God. Maybe you're in a relationship right now that's not honoring to God and you need to surrender that. And that takes trust because that's trusting God as the right person for you in the future. I think we worry about our future spouse a whole lot. We need to trust God with that and say that he has a better plan for my life than I have for my life. It's hard, I understand. But God is good enough that we can surrender this area to him. Maybe you need to surrender your time to God. Maybe you so badly want to have control over your future so you spend all of your time doing homework, because that's the only way you can ensure you'll get the best grades and get the best job and then you'll be happy. But God is saying, "Will you spend time with me before schoolwork? Because I'm more important to you than getting good grades, Please get good grades, but not at the sacrifice of your relationship with God. Or maybe you need to surrender control of your finances. Maybe you need to work less so you can have more time with God and live missionally. Maybe you need to be more generous. Maybe you need to find security in God alone, not just your savings account. See, while Mary was surrendering control to God, her husband Joseph, he was tasked with the same thing. His world was also turned upside down. He got to give God control over his future, but not just his future, actually. This calling cost Joseph more than just his plans. So I want you to imagine you're Joseph, and your fiance gets pregnant. And everyone, including you and your whole community, knows the child's not yours. What are they going to think? Do we think this community is going to sit and think, you know what? I bet she's telling the truth. I bet God got her pregnant. That's the most logical conclusion here. You know what, Joseph, you're a stand-up guy. Or are they thinking, Joseph, come on, bud. You clearly got cheated on. And she slept with someone else. She's not impregnated by God. That's a stretch a little bit. Am I right? See, Joseph sees this, and he says, okay, I'm going to quietly divorce her. I don't want to create a mess. I'm just going to quietly divorce her. But then God interjects and says, no, I want you to be her husband. And Joseph agrees to do this. And not only does he give up control of his life, he gives up control of his reputation. Joseph surrenders his rights to control his reputation. Let's just be honest. Joseph would have looked like a fool. His wife's either a crazy lady who thinks angels talk to her or she cheated on him. Staying with her is Joseph sacrificing what people think of him because he cared more about what God wanted for his life than what the people around him thought of him. The Bible is really clear that it is very, very challenging to have both the approval of God and of man. That we're if we pursue the things of the world, if we pursue being cool or being in the in crowd, we are going to forfeit something by doing this. Jesus says in Luke 9, "For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels." See, we can gain the whole world and have everyone think highly of us, but it's going to cost us our souls. This looks like going out on the weekends just so people will like you and you can keep up your reputation, but then forfeiting your holiness through drunkenness, partying, sleeping around, etc. This looks like finding your worth through attention from the opposite gender instead of through attention in God alone, trying to get worldly love because we're not satisfied with God's love. The question we have to ask ourselves is whose approval are we seeking? Our friends, our parents, our professors, boyfriend or girlfriend, the people on our floor, or are we seeking the approval of our Creator? We cannot be like God and be like everyone else. We have to choose. And Joseph chose to care more of what God thought of him than what other people thought of him. Tim Keller says the manger at Christmas means that if you live like Jesus, there will not be room for you in a lot of inns. You can't be like Jesus and stay in the five-star hotel. You have to choose. So are you willing to do the same and choose the manger? Are you willing to consider surrendering control over your reputation and not to care what people think and instead choose to please God. So I want all of you to think back to August. For many of you, you've never heard of Chi Alpha before. You're just starting at I, and you had no idea what was about to happen. I pray that you're a little bit closer to Jesus now than you were then. We had our beginning of the year Chick-fil-A party where we met most of you for the first time. Then we had our first service where we t- talked about how we have the right to royalty. We have the right to be a son or daughter of the king and to live as royalty. And in this first series, we talked about our first pillar of Chi Alpha, which is real devotion, that we are called to be intentionally intimate with Jesus through abiding daily. That means we spend time with God through reading the Bible, prayer, sitting in silence, doing these spiritual practices every day. And I pray that over this semester, you have started to do some of these spiritual practices and seen God become a personal friend to you. And then we continued on to our second rites, we have the rights to family, or as we call it around here, real community. This just means we get to create vulnerable fellowship, meaning we are real and we are honest with each other. We do life together. We have fun together. That's why we did the classy Christmas party last weekend, so we could learn to dance like Drayton and Griffin. Those two guys were constantly breaking it down on the dance floor. Griffin's tie was like going around his head. It was an awesome time. And they made me feel bad because I can't dance like them. Taylor is still sore, in case you're wondering. I wake up every morning to her doing like calisthenics and stretching in the morning (laughs) because she's so sore from dancing. Anyways, we do these things because it's fun and life is done best in community. Life's done best together. But we continued on. We went on to talk about our rights to more, our right to the Holy Spirit, And we probably talked about the Holy Spirit in a way that may have been a little bit new for you. Maybe it was slightly confusing when you learned about things like speaking in tongues or Holy Spirit baptism. Maybe those things were new or they are stretching for you. And maybe it threw you off a bit, but then you get to experience this maybe strange but new facet of following God. Again, new things, new rights. And then we talked about our rights to live missions. How we are called to find, feed, and fight for students on our campus. To live a life of real responsibility. We are to share the good news of Jesus with our friends and our classmates who do not know him yet. Throughout these teachings, you've heard sayings like, sin is not the breaking of an impersonal law, but the personal heart of God. Or God's laws are not motivations for obedience, but descriptions of reality from an infinite perspective. Or that love finds a need and meets it. And while you've learned all these things on Tuesday nights, most of you have been in a small group. And I imagine this small group may have been a little bit of a new experience for you. Maybe they've asked you to be vulnerable. You've shared deep thoughts. You've shared things with this group of people that you've never shared with anyone else. You've been open with them, doing all this in life together while also looking at the teachings of Jesus. All this while being held accountable to learn how to read the Bible, to pray, to spend time with God on our own. See, to sum it up, over this past semester, we've learned that following Jesus is not about going to church once a week, but rather it is about a life-altering commitment. That the invitation to follow Jesus is not to come and thrive. The invitation to follow Jesus is actually to come and die. To deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus daily, just as he instructs us in Matthew 16, 24, Mark 8, 34, and Luke 9, 23, when he says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me daily. In essence, what we've learned is that our time in college is not about getting a degree, but rather it is about making disciples who make disciples who live lives of real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. And this can seem extreme. This can seem like a radical call. And I want to let you in on a little secret, Kai Alpha. I recognize it's a little crazy. I fully understand that this is probably a little bit different for you. And maybe some of this is a little scary. Maybe you came into college with one expectation. You had this expectation that you're going to live the college experience. You're going to go make friends, go out sometimes, get good grades, maybe hook up, live the life that's going to make you happy in the moment. That these four years are supposed to be about you living life to the fullest, experience in the world. However, somehow you got connected to this sorority-sounding church group. And now this crazy guy, he was telling you to die to self and devote your entire college career to the cause of Christ and that you are called to help see 10,000 students bow in reverence to King Jesus. See, I fully understand that maybe this has caused some thoughts and conflict inside of you. Where you want to love Jesus, you want to put him first, but it seems hard. I feel like many of us tonight, there's one side of us that's telling us to jump all in with this Jesus thing. That these people who seem to be madly in love with Jesus seem to have some answers to questions I've been asking. But then there's another side of us that's telling you that if you do this, it's going to mess up your life that you're supposed to experience the college dream, have fun, have the memes, and maybe you're a little bit torn. Maybe you're asking yourself, should you surrender the rights to your college experience for Jesus? Which brings us back to the story of Christmas. See, Mary and Joseph, they're great representations of surrender. But the baby's actually the best representation. See, this baby... This baby was actually a king. This king had the right to be born in a palace, but chose to be born in a feeding trough for farm animals. This king had every right to royalty, but he gave it up to be born as a lowly poor baby. This king had the right to family. His family was being at the right hand of God, spending eternity in heaven with God, but he gave up this right. He gave up his comfort for us. This king had the right to limitless more, but he willingly chose to limit himself and come as a human to relate to humanity. This king had every right to live for the mission of self-glorification, but instead this king does nothing out of selfish ambition, does nothing for their own glory, but everything to lower themselves and live for other people. See what I'm telling you is we've spent this semester talking about our birthright. And what I'm telling you, Chi Alpha, is that Jesus gives up these birthrights for us every single day. And in the story of Christmas, we see the most beautiful representation of what it looks like to give up our rights for God. The main idea is that the beauty of Jesus is he gave up all of his rights for us. And now we can do the same. The beauty of Jesus is he gave up every single right for us. And now we get to do the same. Because Jesus had the right to royalty, the right to family, the right to mourn, the right to live for the mission of self, but he chose to sacrifice all those things at the altar of our eternities. The Christmas story should mess with us because it's the story of a king choosing to live like anything but a king. See, we spent this semester exploring our rights as followers of Jesus, and we live in a world that tells us We have the right to our own happiness, our own success, our own dreams. And in an earthly sense, this is very correct. You have the right to live for just yourself. But if you've learned anything this semester, I pray that you've learned that if you live a life for something more than just yourself, that is when you'll begin living a life worth living. Because we have the right to be like our king and give up every right we have so we can love other people. And I think if we do this, if we choose to live for the highest good instead of our personal good, we're going to change the world. See, I think next semester, God has some amazing plans for Chi Alpha. Before we get there, though, between now and next semester, there's this great abyss known as Christmas Break known to you guys as rest time, known to me as a not great month. So here is the first right I'm going to ask you to sacrifice tonight. You can surrender the right to have a bad break. The mission of God is too important for you to throw away this next month. The calling over Chi Alpha and over your life for next semester is too great to tarnish it with a break where we run from Jesus. God has done too much in your life to take 10 steps back over these next month. So let's have a great break. Amen? How do we do that? Well, let me help. I've actually got 10 steps to having a successful break. And it's quite simple. They boil down to three bigger steps. Live a life of real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. So let's dive in. Real devotion. You can take a break from school, but not Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? We're taking a break from school, but not Jesus. So what does this look like practically? Number one, get a Bible reading plan. If you do not have a plan of how you're going to spend time with Jesus and how you're going to read the Bible, if you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. That's a Jordan Upmeyer quote right there anyways. Come up with a plan. Give yourself a goal, something to keep you track over this semester when it comes to reading the Bible. Say, I'm going to read the whole book of Luke over break, or I'm going to read the book of John and the book of Romans over break. I don't care what the plan is, but you need to have some kind of plan of how you're going to spend time with Jesus over break. And if you miss a day of spending time with Jesus, or if you miss a day of Bible reading, that's okay. God's not mad at you. You Just start again the next day. Just jump back in. Number two, pray for at least 15 minutes a day. Prayer is important. Prayer is probably the most important thing we can do to be a healthy follower of Jesus. And I think all of us have time to give 15 minutes a day to God. If you don't know how to pray, you can use an acronym that is called PRAY. P stands for PAUSE means be silent before the Lord. R stands for rejoice. Thank God for something. A stands for ask. Give him your prayer request. Y stands for yield. Surrender something to God. If you don't quite understand how to do this, your small group leader would love to teach you because I've told them a hundred times and they would love to explain it to you. Or you can make a prayer list of different things that you want to pray for over break. Again, I don't care how you do it, but have a plan of how you can pray. Set aside a time in your calendar to pray for 15 minutes a day. Number three, read good books by people who have followed Jesus longer than you. This is crucial to your faith. For some of us, we've been following Jesus for the maximum of us. I think it's me. I've been following Jesus for like 26 years. That's still not that long. Some of these guys have been following Jesus for like 50, and they, they're dead now. But they follow Jesus really well when they're alive. Most of us have probably been following Jesus for like under three years. We don't have all the answers. So let's read the books from the people who actually have some more answers than us. Read books by guys like A.W. Tozer, C.S. Lewis, Tim Keller, John Mark Comer, Ashker Your Smarter Bleeder. They have a list of book recommendations that I've given them. I challenge each of you. Read one book. That's all I'm asking. Read one book over break. That'll help you grow as a follower of Jesus. If you're looking for some recommendations, you've got Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. You could read The Ruthless Emanation of Hurry or Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. You could live or live. You could read What's Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. There's a lot of books you could read. Like one of, I've been reading a lot of prayer book lately. If you want to learn how to pray, ask me. There's this book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools by Tyler Staten, and it has radically changed my prayer life. Read a book by someone who's followed Jesus longer than you. Number four, avoid temptation because home can be a hard place to be holy. Home can be a hard place to be holy. Any sin struggle that you may have struggled with before college, that you struggle with back at home, it's probably going to be a little bit easier to fall back into that when you're in the old environment. So come in with a plan of how you're not going to fall back into that sin struggle. Be accountable with your small group. Be vulnerable. If you just come in and you had like a deep 10-year addiction to pornography and then you've seen God break those chains and you come back, you know what? I'm going to live the exact same way I used to with that 10-year addiction. It'll be perfectly fine, I promise. And then you're sitting in your bedroom late at night with your parents asleep and your phone right next to you. Home can be a hard place to be holy. (laughs) Have a plan. Be vulnerable. Confess when things are hard. Number two, real community. Real friends do not go months or a month without talking. Real friends do not go a month without talking. No. <laughs> 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 All right. Next one, number five. All right. Stay in communication with your small group. I don't know why I did that. Uh, (laughs) all right number five talk to your small group that's explanatory number six do something fun with your small group over break find a time to meet up in a central location with your small group and do something fun don't wait until after christmas to plan this plan this before you leave because then you'll just slip by. Be proactive in how to stay in community. Number seven, join a local church or come back and come to SENT. That would be fun because then we can hang out. Do not go a whole month without going to a church service. Find a local church. You need to be in the presence of God with other people. I'll help you find one in your hometown if you don't have one. Or maybe if you have no interest in going to one of those churches, just come back to SENT. Following Jesus is so much bigger than your time in college or bigger than Chi Alpha. Following Jesus mostly looks like being a part of a local church. Find a local church, plug in. Hear me, do not just watch church online. Actually attend a local church so you can stay in the form of Christian community. Sitting in your room with the covers over as you're half asleep, (laughs) watching your phone, is not living in community with the presence of God. It is napping to fulfill a religious obligation so you can turn it back off and go back to bed and have pancakes later. Third thing, real responsibility. Be a thermostat. Influence your home more than your home influences you. A thermometer reads temperatures. A thermostat sets the temperature. Amen. (laughs) So what this looks like, number eight, have Jesus-centered conversations. If your time in high school was anything like mine, you had friends in high school, but you never talked about anything important or deep with them, then you're gonna come back, and they might be like, wow, you've changed. You're trying to ask me about my life. Uh, No, let's go back to surface-level relationships, and they might try to suck you back into that. Do not let them. Bring up Jesus. Tell your friends at home about what God has done in your life, and if they think differently about you, oh, well. Your friend's eternity is on the line. Someone is called to be the Jesus representation of them. I think many of us like to pray for our lost friends when you're the answer to that prayer request. Go tell them about Jesus. Don't pray about something you can do on your own. Anyways, tell your friends at home about Jesus. Talk to people at your jobs about Jesus. Talk to your family about Jesus. Do not leave jesus center conversations in Cedar Falls. Jesus does not live in Cedar Falls. Amen and amen. Number nine, create a schedule routine. I know the temptation to just lay around all break, to sleep till noon, watch Netflix, take a nap, get up, eat a snack, and then stay up all night on TikTok and repeat. That will not lead to a healthy break. Create a routine. Get up at a decent time and read your Bible. Put your time with Jesus in your calendar. It might be the only thing in your calendar. Great, then you won't forget to do it. Habits are crucial to health, so create a healthy schedule that is full of time with Jesus. And number 10, serve your parents and family. So for some of you, you're going to come home, and your parents are going to be like, what the heck has happened to you? And some of you are going to go home and think, parents, what the heck has happened to you? (laughs) If your family is not running after Jesus, you might find it tempting to judge them or to think poorly about them, but that is not how we show the love of God. The way to show Jesus to your parents and your siblings is to serve them. Be the best member of your family. Do the dishes. Help out more than you did before. This way, when your family looks at Chi Alpha, when they look at Jesus, they don't think, wow, Jesus and Chi Alpha made my kid a judgmental butt. (laughs) No, love them, serve them. So then they think, wow, Jesus and Chi Alpha's helped my child become kinder and more helpful. I don't like angry calls from parents about your judgmentalness. Go home and serve your family. Love them. It's what God's called us to do. If you will do these things, you will have an amazing break. And also, do not forget to rest. You've earned it. You've worked hard. We firmly believe in working hard and resting hard around here. Because God wants to do some really, really cool things this spring. And if he's going to do them, we're going to to be rested up. So speaking of that, I'm excited for this spring. I think it's going to be the best semester we've ever had. We've got a lot of big things coming up. First of all, we have Winter Conference. Please sign up for Winter Conference. If finances are an issue, please talk to me. Talk to your small group leader. We'll figure it out. Because I promise you, God will move in a powerful way. The speakers we have coming are amazing. I also can promise you to be the best breakfast you've ever had. That's not a joke. It's like this buffet. I don't know how we get it, but it's always fun. And they make omelets for me. So Winter Conference is not only an encounter with God, it is also so much fun. There's really no... When I think of winter conference, that's really what I think of is just how much fun I've had at these conferences. Here's another right you can sacrifice. Sacrifice the rights to your last weekend of break and come back and be with Jesus. Sacrifice your right to that extra paycheck so you can come be with Jesus. Sacrifice your right to your last weekend with your family so you can come be with Jesus. Sacrifice your right to come back and get everything set up in your dormitory because for some reason, it's all gonna be different now since you left. And you need to get your schedule. You print it out, you put it up, you're good. Actually, just put it on your phone. You don't print it out anymore. Amen? Sacrifice that right to come be with Jesus. I promise you won't regret it. I made this promise to fall, i sure you don't make it again. If you go and you don't like it and you regret it, ask me and I'll give you a refund. Start the semester off on the right foot through coming to winter conference. And then when we get back, we're gonna have a bunch of new students to campus. You'll also have new students in your classes because you'll be in new classes. You'll have new students in your dorm halls. And we have the opportunity to sacrifice the rights to be inward focused and we get to live missions with these students that are new. We get to invite people into our lives and make friends with people and then invite them to get to know Jesus. We get to continue to live missions next spring as we go to, on our mission trips in spring break. Sacrifice your right to not do any of your support raising and try to raise $1,000 in a day by getting started early if you're going on a mission trip. The final thing that we'll have next spring is our leadership training class. And this is where we start to train our next year's small group leaders. See, I think God is going to ask many of you to take this leadership class and to take the first step towards becoming a leader. And that takes a big surrender because leadership entails surrendering your college careers to help the people around you. It is hard work, but it's the most rewarding work. So when I look back at my college diploma, I'll be honest, I don't care about my degree. I don't even know what my degree is called. People ask me, I don't know, something with teaching. To me, when I see my diploma, which isn't super often, to be honest, I think it's behind my, I think I dropped it behind a bookshelf, but anyways, whenever I metaphorically think of my diploma, my diploma reads Victor Martinez, Jacob Enos, Forrest Estrom, and then guys you don't know, like Tyler Martin, Nick Hanson, Ryan Bettenga Those guys have all left. See, we have the right to focus our time in college on building our resumes, on our grades, on our clubs, on having adventures, getting to see the world. Hear me, none of those things are bad. They're not. It's perfectly okay if that's how you spend your time in college. I'll still love you dearly. I'll think the world of you still. But I do think for some of you, there might be something different for you. I think God is going to ask some of you to sacrifice your time in college Helping other people fall in love with King Jesus. And that starts next spring. So prepare this winter break and get ready because God is going to use you. He's going to blow your mind. I can promise you that. See, there's one person in my life who I think embodies this idea of sacrificing the right to their own lives to help other people better than almost anyone I've ever met. This person has sacrificed his time in college to help other guys come to know Jesus. He led a small group his sophomore, junior, and senior years of college. And then for some reason, he liked it so much that he decided to stick around and lead small group for four more years. Yes, that is seven years total. He's crazy. In those seven years, 20 guys have become small group leaders because of his leadership. Do we have that picture? Maybe. Look at that. Those 20 men fell madly in love with Jesus and decided to give their lives to other people because of one person's obedience. 20 men decided to sacrifice their right to their time in college to help grow the kingdom of God. And because I love numbers, I look back and this person has had 77 people in his small groups. That's pretty cool. John and Casey, will you come up here? John also hates my numbers, so it's fun to throw them in his face one last time. It's a pretty cool picture. Or I guess a collection of pictures. All right. Welcome. This is going to be the hardest senior speech I think I've ever done. John has not only sacrificed to help men come to know Jesus, John has sacrificed his life for Chi Alpha. He sacrificed his life to see the kingdom of God come at you and I as it is in heaven. This has looked like not just leading small group, but he's also led a small group of small group leaders for the past two years. On top of this, John has faithfully led our tech team through the blinking light fiasco of the last two years. (laughs) He's also led the tech team at church. John has done every behind-the-scenes thing you can think of, he organizes the lights, he organizes the trailer, all the equipment, he goes shopping for every Kyle event we do. If you've liked any food at a party, it's because of John. John is a wizard lifetime member of Sam's Club. They rec- Every time he comes, they like, hi! And they're all excited to see him. It's him and all these like 70 year old women We <laughs> love Sam's Club. On top of this, John has organized our mission trips. He led the internship program for a week and that was kind of fun. It only lasted a week, though. He's been an incredible team member and a very loyal friend. John is known around our Chi Alpha staff team as the glue guy for Chi Alpha because of his faithfulness, because of his humility. And for those of you that don't know, John and I actually grew up together. We were peers when I was a little butt becoming Principal today all the time. We were peers from all that time until I became the Chi Alpha director in 2020. And to be honest, when I became the Chi Alpha director, one part of that job description was becoming John's boss. And I was pretty nervous about that because I was going to become my best friend's leader and boss. And that's like, that's appetizing. But John, your humility in championing Taylor and I in being the best support we could ever ask for and your faithfulness has blown me away day after day for the past three years. John, you've done so much more than I could ever ask of you. So thank you. Over the past few months, John has been sensing a call from the Lord out of full-time ministry and to step into the marketplace and get a job that pays better, which I am <laughs> I am in full support of this decision, and it is clearly from God. I am so excited for John to pave the way for what it looks like to run after Jesus while working in the marketplace. I'm excited for you to pave the way to show us what it looks like to do ministry without it being your full-time job. I'm excited for this next season for John. Casey is going to continue working for Chi Alpha. So John will still be around in mostly everything. It really only changes nine to five. So for most of you, it won't change a lot of things. You'll still see him here to make jokes on Tuesday nights. But for some of us, specifically me, this is a big transition. John, you have sacrificed your rights for year after year after year. John, you have paved a way for these students to see what life can look like if you live for something greater than yourself. Taylor, you can come up. And while she's doing that, if you've been in one of John's small groups, will you please stand up? All right, guys, I need you to look around. If you've been in one of these guys' small groups, please stand up. And I don't know if this is anyone, but if you've been in any of these guys' as small groups, please stand up. Take a look around. It's pretty much every guy in the room. John, you've shown us that if you live for something greater than yourself, and if you sacrifice your rights, you can change the world. John, you've shown us that you can change the world from Cedar Falls Island. did it, my friend. It changed the world. These guys are closer to Jesus because of your obedience. And that's pretty cool. So if you'd all stand with me. We're going to pray for John as he makes this transition. So Taylor and I are going to come and lay hands on them and we're just going to pray. If you guys would pray with me as we pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for John and his commitment to Kai Alpha and his commitment to you, more importantly, God. Thank you for his obedience to the call over his life, Jesus, that he didn't let fear get in the way of what you've asked of him, God. When you asked him to give up his college life for other students, that he said yes. When you asked him to give up his years after college for students to come to know you, he said yes. And when you asked him to step out of what is comfortable to help see adults come to know you, he said yes again and again and again. God, thank you that when John gets to eternity, he's going to hear well done, good and faithful servant again and again and again and again for all of eternity because so many men will have come to know you through his obedience, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for it. We pray as he goes in this next season that you'll use him as a light in the marketplace, God, that as he steps into the workforce, God, that you will just use him to help people come to know Jesus that the call to make disciples, to make disciples who live lives of real devotion, real community real responsibility will not stop because he's not working for Chi Alpha God but it'll instead just grow and grow and grow Jesus we love you so much Amen. Amen We've got these cards for you as well Can we give him a standing ovation? right now, John, you give a sermon. (laughs) All right, thank you guys so much. Chi Alpha, we have a calling and we have an opportunity. We have a calling to show our campus the love of Jesus. We have a calling to be willing to sacrifice our rights to help other people come to know Jesus. We have a calling to say, God, your will, your plan is better than my will and my plan. To say, God, your mission is more important than my momentary happiness. To say, God, I'm gonna give my everything to see people come to know you. We have a calling and we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to turn the world upside down. We can turn the world upside down from right here through being obedient. And it starts with you having a good break and running after Jesus and spending time with Him because you cannot do things for God without being with God. So we must be with God, let God work in us so then He can work through us. And we have an opportunity as we do this to see this campus turned upside down for King Jesus. But this opportunity, this opportunity to see 10,000 Panthers on their knees worshiping King Jesus, is going to take a group of college students. are willing to sacrifice the right to their college careers for something greater than themselves. But if we do this, if we lay down our rights at the feet of Jesus, we will change this campus. If we commit to having a good break and then coming back ready to be used by Jesus, there is no telling what will happen. Well, actually, I guess I can tell you what will happen. If we commit to this, we'll change the world. We'll change the world from Cedar Falls Iowa. We're going to worship one last time this semester. And as we do, I encourage you, you can come up front if you want. You can spread out. But let's offer a sacrifice to God and say, Jesus, whatever you ask of me, you can take it all. You can have it all, God. You can have it all, God. Whatever God is asking of you in this season, whether it's to surrender control of your plans, your reputation, or your entire life, I pray that we are people who are willing to say yes. So as we worship together, again, you can come up front if you want, but let's just worship together one more time and tell God that he can take it. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you for everything you've done, not only through Pastor John, God, but thank you for that. Thank you for using him to change the world, God. But also thank you for what you're going to do, God. We know the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come here in Cedar Falls, God, that you want to do something unimaginable in us and through us, God. And I pray that we will be humbly willing to surrender our lives for your plan, God. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together one last time.